Imagine a world without waste. Imagine if you can make products and packaging right every time. It's possible with the help of SpecRite, the first cloud-based platform for specification data management. You can track and report on material usage year over year, run LCAs with the click of a button, and comply with new packaging regulations like EPR and the UK plastics tax. Go to specrite.com backslash sustainability to learn more. Hey, thanks, Laura. Everybody, please All also right, go check out Specrite's podcast, uh, Beyond the Shelf, with Laura Foti, F-O-T-I. It's a wonderful podcast. Uh, Again, about packaging. There's so many cool content creators out there, and Laura is certainly one We have an intro song, and whenever we go live we would love to have you come and check out the Specrite Packaging Specifications Summit in Austin, Texas, January 2024. I will be there, along with Corey Connors, host of Sustainable Packaging with Corey Connors. Daddy and Avelio Matos, <laughs> host of Packaging Unboxed we are actually, podcast. No Laura will be there. There's so many really folks who are there in the packaging <laughs> industry. It is a tremendous, tremendous uh, time and a great place. Uh, at this very moment. Again, so all these links a, will be down uh, in the show notes, including kind of joining myself, LinkedIn Corey, and Avelio every uh, single Monday morning on LinkedIn and on YouTube for Packaging Today. We break down the news, but we also have fun, tell jokes, we enjoy each other. It's a building and blossoming about why you shouldn't talk about politics packaging on LinkedIn, people and everyone is a packaging why it actually person, matters everyone is a packaging buyer we go to start and recording is welcome on Kevin the here packaging today show it was like today is Again, a big day because link, this policy you get notified decision. on, like, on well, LinkedIn I guess or on YouTube and the packaging community continues to grow so I'm joined guest. by uh, Kevin Weiss did I say your name correctly yeah yeah ah, just like Brett Weiss Mm-hmm. Uh, Phil Clark, uh, who uh, I, know. I went to high school with. Uh, Kevin Weiss has his PhD from Rice Uni- the Rice University. And uh, we're going to be discussing his work and why it matters for packaging and why it's so groundbreaking and, and cool. And we'll also discuss why I'm joined by my tallest friend that I know, uh, Phil Clark. Uh, Phil is a hydrogen safety guru. Um, he has a master's degree. Phil has a math formula named after him and uh, is is just in gen- he's I think we've been friends since kindergarten or preschool. Wow. Yeah, it's yeah. been a long time. Uh, we were we were uh, co-founders of the Joe Wolf fan club circa what, 1998. And Phil has just been looking for a reason to come on the podcast. It's um, true. It's true. And I found I finally, it. I have found it. I've discovered the reason why. I can finally come on the podcast. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Adam, and I am officially the dumbest person on this call. So <laughs> I'm excited to get undumbified, and uh, we're going to talk about policy. We're going to talk about politics. We're going to talk about turbostatic graphene. Did I say that right, Kevin? Yeah, turbostatic, yep. Turbostatic. Ah, I already messed it up. Yep. Turbostatic graphene. <laughs> And uh, hydrogen and oxygen and plastic. And yeah. I think I titled this like when all of these things have a baby, this is the baby. And so it's a, it's a cool baby. It's a really cool baby. We've made a baby. Uh, well, first of all, uh, I would love for you both to introduce yourselves. So why don't we start with Phil Clark since you're up here at the top yeah. of the screen? Fantastic. Adam, can't tell you how excited I am to be on this. And Kevin, I can't tell you how excited I am to be riding your coattails to get onto this podcast. 
So uh, name is Phil Clark. I have a company called OMITS and we help people navigate codes and standards using artificial intelligence and neural network stuff. And I have a background for the last decade working in hydrogen safety. And the world of hydrogen has been emerging like crazy in the last few years. And just today, they released the candidates or not the candidates, the selection for the hydrogen hubs. And this is a $7 billion investment into the US infrastructure for deploying hydrogen technologies at seven different locations across the United States. And it's a big, big effort. And it's been in the works for last year, year and a half, and part of the bipartisan infrastructure uh, law that was passed. So that's the, the bit of policy that you know, we can talk about, don't want to get, dive deep into it. But the cool thing is hydrogen is being adopted by private industry. And today is a cool day for that. And wasn't there, there was another announcement, Phil, about, about this yeah. initiative? Tell us. Well, it's not about this initiative, but I got, uh, I, I formed a partnership with the Center for Hydrogen Safety as their lead trainer for NFPA2 Hydrogen Technologies Code. So it's pretty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll Super give you some... exciting. And Congrats, Phil. All means, but you were telling me, and I was like, you're the what with the, that sounds. What? sounds like you're so excited about it and i'm so excited that you're excited about it it's you know there's there's so many cool things happening personally like incredibly blessed i have an awesome uh you know partnership with an engineering firm on the west coast Peyton associates to help do business development for hydrogen and a lot of things are cool and and moving in a really fun direction for me personally is really cool i love it yeah um well, that's awesome. And Kevin, I would love for you to, uh, if you have, if you have breaking news about, I don't even know. What Career, no. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I just finished my PhD at Rice University in chemistry. Um, I did it a lot on nanomaterials, which we'll talk about. And then also I really am passionate about uh, clean energy and sustainability um, and how we can, you know, deal with some of these problems like plastic waste that we have, you know, we've known for, decades how to recycle plastic waste, but it's still an issue. Um, so it's not necessarily the science that's the problem, but the translation and the value standpoint and things like that. So uh, can we, you know, upcycle waste instead of recycling it to make it more economically viable and things like that. Um, and then also kind of how that interfaces with clean energy is something that I'm really passionate about. So thanks for having me on, Adam. Awesome. This is going to be great. And if, if you're listening to this live, please jump in with uh, with some comments. If you are, uh, I didn't like plan this to go live, so I didn't create like invite people to an event. So if no one comments, that's fine. Uh, if you're listening to this on recording, then where were you at <laughs> 10.30 on October 13th when we, when we right. were this? You really missed out uh on on some on some pretty cool stuff well kevin so the reason why we got connected and the reason that phil connected with us is uh not only because he wanted to be on the world's okayest packaging podcast on the planet true. Uh, but also because this does impact my world of packaging and and i'm always fascinated by meeting people who are smarter than me who are solving some of the biggest problems in the world and so i would love for you to just kind of Explain it to me like I'm a third grader because I probably am when it comes to what it is that you have studied. If you want to talk about Denver Nuggets history, I probably, I probably have my PhD, PhD level. level. Yeah, oh, yeah. he's your guy. 
Uh, but that is way less important in the world than what it is that you're working on. So maybe explain how it is that you came up with this and then what did it, what is it you'd say you do here? <laughs> All right, let me just jump in here real quickly because this is super exciting. Uh, my wife and I and our kids came out with this book, Packaging Peaks in the Sticky Situation. It took us a couple of years to write. We spent a lot of time in illustrating and all that. It's finally out. It's available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and at mascotbooks.com. There's a link down in the show notes that you can click. We wrote it because I was trying to describe to my kids you know, what it's like. And there's all these children's books out there about various different industries and about various different jobs. We wanted people in our industry to have a book to be able to relate to their kids with. So go pick it up, please. It would mean so much to support us. Packaging Peaks in the Sticky Situation on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Let's get back into this interview. Yeah, I always, I always like to start talking about the why first. So I kind of already, you know, gave the uh, main part away. You know, plastic waste is a problem that we know how to solve, but haven't because the money doesn't make sense or logistics don't make sense. Another thing is hydrogen. So hydrogen is this really clean burning fuel, doesn't produce any CO2 um ideally but when we produce it um it's either really expensive to produce what's called clean hydrogen and this is hydrogen that doesn't isn't produced with co2 um or it's really cheap to produce hydrogen and a lot of co2 so which one do you think industry uses right now the cheap method that produces a lot of co2 so if hydrogen even though it's this clean burning fuel um if we're producing all this co2 when we're making the hydrogen is it really a clean fuel source so that's another problem that the economics just aren't making sense, um, just like plastic recycling. And so a few years ago, just at the start of my PhD here, working with uh, Dr. Jim Tor uh, at Rice, we came up with this technique that was able to upcycle or um, convert really low value waste materials like waste plastics, uh, waste paper, waste food into really high value nanomaterials. So nanomaterials is another really buzzy word. Most people are kind of familiar with carbon nanotubes, maybe um, from maybe 15, 20 years ago. Um, but Third like later. that, uh, I, I like to go to um, uh, carbon fiber. So you've probably heard of carbon fiber. Got that very one. expensive, very uh, high value product because it has great properties, right? Uh, it's used in race cars because it's so strong, so light, um, but it's really expensive still. And so uh, the carbon nanomaterial uh, called graphene uh, is kind of similar. Um, in that it's very light, very strong, very conductive, and very hard to make. Um, but this process we figured out um, in, in our lab at, at Rice is able to convert waste materials into this super material, graphene. And so this super material has been being used by Ford Motor Company, actually, for about the past uh, three years. They started putting it in their cars, in the polymers in their cars, um, to, to lighten them, strengthen them, uh, increase their durability, things like that. So even just adding, you know, uh, one gram per kilogram or 0.1% by weight uh, can increase the strength of cement and concrete by 35%. So it's a really great material. You just add kind of a sprinkle of this fairy dust to whatever your polymer or concrete yeah, now is. We're talking, now we're talking about like lot There you go. Um, but it's really expensive to make. Um, so it's very valuable because it has all these great applications. And so um, once we, we, uh, said, Hey, what if we could make graphene from trash? And so the process revolves around ultra fast heating. So basically what happens is we take our, uh, waste feedstock, whether it's plastics, uh, we'll talk about like, uh, packaging, some hey. packaging plastics, uh, we don't have to separate it. We don't have to wash it. 
We can take mixed plastic feedstocks. We grind it into, you know, centimeter sized pieces. Um, and then what we can do is this ultra fast heating process. So um, we basically pass electricity through our plastics. Um, we mix in maybe a little bit of coal so that the electricity can get through. And just like our heating coils in our toaster oven, for example, we pass electric current through our toaster. They get red hot within seconds, usually. Um, and so uh, instead of like a normal oven where we wait for the heat to transfer from the heating coil to our slice of bread, what if we plug the bread directly into the outlet? Um, that's basically what we can like in our process too. We're getting the heat generated right where it needs to be, right on that slice of bread. But instead of toasting it, we, uh, you know, by passing a few amps worth of current from an outlet through it, what we do is we discharge a lot more current, uh, a couple hundred amps um, through it. And so we get a lot of heat, uh, about 3000 Kelvin. Um, and so what happens then inside our plastics that we are reacting is all our bonds break. And so they're going to reorganize in the most favorable way. We can think of it that way. And that favorable way just happens to be making that super material graphene. Oh, okay. um, so within a second or less, we can convert our plastic into this high value super material graphene. Um, and so we knew that in about 2020 and that paper was published in Nature, um, which is a pretty good journal. It's one of the forest and you were like, we've we're published. <laughs> so we carved it into a tree there. Yeah. Um, no, so that work had been known for a while, uh, but we, we realized and kind of where I came in was whenever we reacted plastics in this manner, we got a lot of vapor coming up. We're like, what's the vapor? I don't know. It goes out through the fume hood. So who cares? And so <laughs> then I, I realized, well, what if it's, you know, thinking um, if our plastic, for example, polyethylene is carbon and hydrogen. And what we get is graphene, which is all carbon. So where does all this hydrogen go? And so, uh, you know, talking with my boss, we said, let's try and figure this out. So we started trapping the volatiles. We had to buy and kind of design a whole new system to be able to capture, measure, figure out what these gases are. And pretty soon we were like, oh, wow, this is this is hydrogen and pretty high purity. So um, we get, you know, similar purity to the current ways that we produce hydrogen. And then also we're not producing any CO2. Uh, like like most industrial um, hydrogen production methods today. So not only are we converting this trash into a high value graphene supermaterial, we're also getting this clean fuel hydrogen out. Um, and because uh, the graphene is so valuable, um, you know, about we can say a hundred thousand dollars per ton. So it's a very valuable material. Um, if we sell that graphene, even at you know five percent of its current market value, assuming that you know we disrupt the market and costs go down or whatever. Um, even if we sell our graphene on a 95% off sale, we're still making our hydrogen for free. So we're making this clean fuel um, from waste plastic for free just by selling our graphene. So it's, it's a really nice process because unlike a lot of recycling methods, the economics makes sense. And um, we're able to convert, we don't have to, you know, like I said, we don't have to separate it, which is a lot of the money and manpower in current recycling methods. We don't have to wash it. Uh, we just mix it with a little bit of coal, do this uh, ultra fast heating process, and we get uh, valuable uh, hydrogen as a clean fuel source, and we get our valuable graphene super material. So it's a, it's a pretty awesome. neat process. Two questions, and I want to get to Phil here in a second. Uh, first question, what does your dog 
think about this. Uh, <laughs> the dog is very intent on jumping into the interview. Yeah. I'm like, you know what? It's just humans only, but uh, we will. It's a really cute puppy. Uh, yeah, we, my wife and I, we just adopted her actually about a week ago. Um, oh, so that's why she's in my lap instead of fighting with the other dog during totally our, uh, nice. super important podcast. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but her name is Churro. So what's up, Churro? Churro? Nice. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so going back here to what you're saying. So uh, if I'm kind of following down, um, I, I, I talk actually quite a bit about the problems with recycling is value um, yeah. that, that there's. There, there is a there's a distinct value problem when it comes to, you know, like, for example, um, like post consumer polypropylene. Right. So it, like there's a need for it. It just the the process at which it takes for us now to get there doesn't match with the value relative to, you know, just the creation of polypropylene is pretty cheap and easy. So yep. there's a value there. It's not it's not a matter of chemistry. It's just a matter of economics. So. In this, in this case, if you have a, a plastics recovery facility and they go, great, Kevin, so we don't have to actually spend the time. So our throughput is faster and we can, and, and you value this at a higher rate. So maybe there's now an end market where they can sell these bales of, of plastic, mixed plastic to, you know, assuming that there is a scalable, you know, model here to produce this. They can sell that for, I don't know, 5x what they could have gotten had they spent five times more time trying to process this out and to make sure everything was clean and perfect. They can just bundle it, sell, sell it to you, mm-hmm. and you know that you now have an in-market of hydrogen, which we're going to talk to here with Phil, and also graphene. Is that kind of the the bluey uh, cartoon version of <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And I think that with a lot of waste streams and trying to go to more of a circular economy, both in plastics and electronics and things like that, is I don't think the answer is going to lie in recycling. I think it's going to land in more upcycling um, is kind of a newer term where we take our waste material and we upcycle it into something that's useful and higher value. So then we're able to um, kind of incentivize economically recycling and, and responsible waste disposal and things like that. Um, so you're totally right that by making a more valuable product, we're able to incentivize and tell a really cool story about how to manage plastic waste. And, and Adam, when when I saw this this article that that he had published or that was published about his work, the first thing that went through my mind is this gappy tooth prospector looking at like the all the plastic in the ocean and just being like if we can get that we can make money through graphene and hydrogen and it's just super exciting to be able to think about like this is it's it's a really different way of looking at you know dealing with the trash situation dealing with energy situation and dealing with material science all in the same product and process it's incredibly cool that's that yeah that's that's awesome i i guess uh the the skeptic in me would say uh, like a friend of mine has has a shirt and it says uh, part of the part of the shirt he made uh, says on a long enough timeline, it ends up in the landfill. Um, like you just so if if you have it, like, let's take this graphene and and it, it reaches the end of its life, whatever that might be. So if it's, if it's concrete, if it's carbon fiber, if it's in a car or whatever it is, um, is is it like normal, you know, steels and metals where it just can keep it can stay graphene as long as it wants to stay graphene. Cause I know metal recycling has a tremendous amount of value, right? 
is, mm. is it the same with graphene or is that like a really hard material to repurpose once it's done? So um, it would be pretty hard to like take the graphene back out of cement um, and, and reuse yeah. it. Um, same thing with polymers, but one thing, so I also was, uh, had a collaboration when I was in grad school with Ford Motor Company. Once they heard about our process to make graphene, uh, from, from trash, they sent us a bunch of, uh, plastic from Ford F-150s and they said, can you convert this into, uh, into uh, graphene? And we did, and we sent it to them and our graphene that we made from their trash car, um, was actually converted into, uh, you know, it, it performed better than the graphene they were buying on open market. Um, and so then they tested it in the polymers, it outperformed their current stuff. And then they said, um, what if we send you this test sample back? Can you recycle it again? And I said, yeah, oh, why not? Cool. And so then we, we took that graphene enhanced plastic, processed it the exact same way, and we got out more graphene and ostensibly more hydrogen. So um, we can kind of do it that way, but trying to get the graphene back out of the composite whether that's a plastic or a cement, would be pretty hard, but you have to use so little of it. Um, like you'd probably use less than, so one kilogram per ton of cement. So, yeah. You know. So, um, so it sounded though, like what Adam was talking about was, you know, what is the life cycle of graphene? Like if you end up being very successful with this and you're able to generate a lot of graphene and graphene all of a sudden plummets in price, we have absolutely. tons of it. Um, yeah. You'd, so, you'd equated it to like, fly ash for coal to some degree of you know if it becomes this valuable product that we have too much of um what happens to it like what can you so do worst case it? scenario we're taking the plastics which can go into microplastics or we're taking the food waste which can be eaten by bacteria and turned into mm -hmm. co2 which is bad and we're converting it to kind of what's called a terminal carbon source um and so graphene is pretty environmentally inert um if you think about graphene is very similar to graphite which we mine to use in batteries. And so if graphite was, or graphene was able to break down, um, it would have, it would, we wouldn't have batteries, right? Um, so graphene, at least on like a few hundred year timescale is um, probably pretty, pretty inert environmentally. So even if worst case scenario, we don't sell this graphene and we're just converting our waste plastic, which can make microplastics or whatever other bad CO2 or whatever, um, and we're converting it into hydrogen and this terminal carbon source, um, which again, isn't going to be CO2. So even if that's buying us a few hundred years to figure out, uh, you know, the CO2 um, issue with, with global warming, you know, um, yeah. so it is kind of a, a environmentally inert um, terminal carbon source is what it's called. So, by the way, I guarantee you, there's somebody who listens to this who's like a Chevy person. They're like, well, I think every Ford F-150 is a trash car. So they're, like, they're making that comment already. So I yeah, know. yeah. <laughs> I'll look for that one later. Yeah, uh, yeah. perfect. Um, okay, so so we get we get this this cool super material uh, called graphene. And then you mentioned, okay, you discover hydrogen, which is how Phil got interested in it. Um, so Phil, maybe talk about as, as a hydrogen safety guru. Um, Talk about like why this is exciting in conjunction with what was announced today um, yeah. that that they're able to create this and and how can the packaging community participate in the radness? Yeah, totally. So one of the first things that Kevin talked about was the current state of hydrogen. So right now, probably 95% of all hydrogen is generated through what's called steam methane reformation. And steam Obviously. methane reformation is essentially take, yeah, yeah, super nerdy. We'll dumb it down to a third grade level. So it's essentially you take gas 
from the natural gas grid and you heat it up with steam and you get hydrogen out one side and you get carbon dioxide out the other and it's a yeah. lot of carbon dioxide and are you like the so, martin luther of this reformation though you're like coming in uh, yes yes i'm trying to be yes absolutely okay, okay. And, and so um you get the hydrogen out one side and it's neat it's usable it's very um there's a lot of products that you can make with it anywhere from uh you know a fuel for heating in furnaces uh you can put it through um you know applications to generate electricity you can put it back into chemical feedstock a lot of cool applications on it but current state it's pretty nasty it, it generates a lot more carbon dioxide than you know traditional fuels but that's what they're trying to change with today's announcement of the hydrogen hubs is how do we green this up how do we make it more sustainable to actually generate hydrogen and the biggest focus right now is what's on called electrolysis and so that's where they take water and electricity and ideally from these variable sources of electric uh, electricity like wind and solar mm -hmm. and split that water into hydrogen and oxygen and you can do that on a pretty big scale and there's a lot of companies that are really 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 trying to, to make some big plays into this of you know generating a lot of hydrogen using these electrolyzers and um it's it's neat it's very fantastic and there's a lot of money being thrown on it because it's a it's a really complex problem to solve and one of the key things in a sustainable future has been identified hydrogen has to be part of that portfolio of energy yeah the, the cool thing about what kevin does is it looks at a different way to generate hydrogen in a way that's not been considered Right. And it's so, still clean hydrogen and that we're not producing yeah. very much CO2. Um, we still get very high purities of, of hydrogen, um, but it's just much cheaper. So one of the issues with electrolysis is that it costs about um, to get one kilogram of hydrogen from electrolysis. It's going to cost three or four times more than getting that same amount of hydrogen from the bad way of making hydrogen, the steam methane reforming, which makes a lot of CO2. Um, so that's kind of the issue that also they're trying to fix with clean hydrogen or green hydrogen, can we make it economically competitive to make hydrogen and not make CO2? Um, so, yeah. and, and, and that's actually DOE, uh, the Department of Energy's goal is this concept called the hydrogen shot, where yep. the goal is to get one kilogram of hydrogen for $1 within one decade. Mm -hmm. And that's a huge order. And that's really hard to achieve with current state electrolysis. Mm -hmm. And so like when, when I read the paper on like net negative cost at 5% of current market value of graphene, like he, what Kevin's not really talking about being a hydrogen generator necessarily. Like it's, it's solely for the purpose of generating graphene. It's a hugely valuable, way more valuable than hydrogen, but the waste product is something that can be directly injected into a grid, like a pipeline of hydrogen and make money that way too. And so, how cool is this that you're solving a problem of taking waste packaging crunching it up uh, yes packaging. packaging you take packaging you crunch it up and you get this amazing product out that you're focusing on the graphene and on the back end you're like yeah you we're also making hydrogen there's it it's it's pretty incredible when you think about it like it's it's really really cool and and kevin the only carbon dioxide that really goes into this 
would be from the heating and that depends on your energy source. So that could be. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. And then if, if we do uh, try to break down polymers or things that contain that oxygen, then we do make some carbon monoxide and carbon dioxide. But if we're thinking about polypropylene, polyethylene, polystyrene, you know, molecules that don't have any oxygen in them, then we're not making any CO2. Um, right. So. You mean, but polystyrene is a bad word, Kevin, you're not allowed to use it. Oh, okay. No, All right. oh, no. no, it's not. I, <laughs> oh, no. I, I like, I, I, enjoy, I enjoy educating people when they're like, styrofoam is bad. And I'm like, but what are your thoughts on polystyrene? And they're like, oh, oh, like you know, like, like the Starbucks lids. They're like, yeah, those are pretty nice. I'm like, that's also styrofoam. That's the same thing. Whoa. <laughs> they're like, yeah. Crazy. No, jinx. Um, <laughs> so, uh, okay. This is this is super fascinating, and I knew I knew that we would have a very robust and long uh, conversation here. Uh, but I guess so. So we've got these two things. So we take the the crap that that we make in our industry, and then we give it to Kevin, and Kevin turns it into rad rad graphene and also clean hydrogen. Yep. And then I understand what happens with the with the graphene. Phil, what is stopping or what, what would be needed to create maybe some circularity? Is there a way that yeah. the hydrogen comes back to our crap and we can yes. use it to make more feedstock that creates that kind of closed loop? Yeah. Yeah. So one of the, the biggest issues with the hydrogen hubs as it is right now is they're really focused on generating a lot of clean hydrogen, which is fantastic. But who's going to take it? Who's going who's gonna to take it and what are they going to do with it? And so the conversation now that everybody's really focusing on is how do we get demand for hydrogen? There's ways where you can make electricity. There's ways where you can create heating through you know, furnaces and things like that. But what else can we do with it? One of the big obvious ones is you make ammonia and mm -hmm. ammonia is necessary for uh, fertilizer and, and, and a lot of cool existing applications. And that's pretty dang easy. You have a, a, a process that's pretty easy to take nitrogen from the air and hydrogen and convert, you know, ammonia. But And that's the one of the major users of hydrogen gas right now. Is, yeah, yeah, is yeah, totally. Making ammonia. Yeah. Before we even right. have hydrogen powered cars or things like that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so the thing that has really pivoted in the last five years in the hydrogen world is, you know, it's, it's a multitasker. And so you can do a lot with it, including it's a base feedstock for chemicals in the refining industry. And so you can take hydrogen, you can make ammonia, you can make methanol, you can do a lot of things. And those, this is where I start to get stupid, is, and I, I start to hand it off to, uh, Kevin, you're down there for me. I hand this off to you and say, all right, if, if, if I can make uh, hydrogen and we can make a couple of these really simple molecules and hand them back off to industry. And it's great that we have you here as a representative of, you know, an oil and gas company. Like what can you do with that as far as making packaging materials that Adam can take and sell. And then we do this all over again and yeah, close the I loop. I love that. By the way, we, we did get one, one person commented here. Uh, we got Len says, good morning, gentlemen. Oh, good middle, morning. Metalhouse.com. Thanks, Len, for chiming in. I want to give you a lovely shout out. Uh, I feel famous now that somebody is actually watching this. I well, awesome. I, 
It's a really big deal. It's it uh, really is the most okayest packaging it, content it I've ever been on. I know, I know. It's uh, it's it's great. Um, well, that that makes a ton of sense, and I'm sure that there's so much more. You know, I think about like uh, I was mentioning before we got on the call, my friend uh, Michael Ferrari, and what they're doing at the Consortium for Waste Circularity. Yeah. You know, there's uh, I actually got to do um, if I can, you know, uh, if I can talk about my own MBA. Uh, where we looked at how, how can we create um, cellulose, pure grade cellulose from <laughs> from CO2. Um, Very cool. <laughs> and so that was a that was a fun. We we were we were creating the business use case for it, not the material. I didn't yeah. I didn't understand the science behind it, but it was like yes, if we can stop beating trees into literally into a pulp, and yeah. we, we can use CO2, that would be pretty awesome. So it's it's really neat to see people looking at this bringing together industry, bringing together academia, bringing together government and saying, okay, how does this work for everybody? Because if it's just government and academia, but there's no industry involvement, then there's no scalability. If nobody, I hate to say it, but if nobody can make money, yep. if there's no economics behind it, it doesn't matter because altruism is not going to win. That's why we're not just right. pulling right. CO2 out of the atmosphere, which we can do, and dumping it all the way down into the core of the earth. Right. Sure, we can do that, but it costs you know billions of dollars and nobody makes money doing that. So right. yeah. we got to right. figure out these things. Yeah, yeah and that's why I think upcycling is the answer when it comes to a lot of um, recycling or waste uh, use. But uh, going back to there's so many cool green or sustainable technologies out there, especially at the academic level that don't make the jump to industry. Um, and one of the reasons for that is scalability issues with scaling. And then also um, people aren't sure green or sustainability can be a buzzword, especially when we're thinking in academia. If I'm trying to get my paper published, in a journal and I can say, oh, it's a green process or it's a sustainable process, then those buzzwords might help me, you know, get a better journal or something like that. And so a lot of there's some cynical uh, people in industry that are like, is it actually green? Is it actually scalable? And yep. so uh, one thing that I just really am proud of is that we were able to do what's called a life cycle assessment on on our new process we're familiar yay right. i know phil is uh working yeah. working at nrel yeah nrel has done a lot of really really good work and argon national lab also um by the way can I, give a, can I give a quick shout out here so yeah. uh because i want you to jump into this but uh there's a there's a cool tool uh, called Specrite for packaging data and they have a tie into this lca tool called compass by triac where you okay. can comparative, like, okay, if I lightweight my PET by 10%, what's the what's a quick LCA instead of having <laughs> so you can just pull in your data and then get your get get the LCA within you know 30 seconds. It's really pretty awesome. That's powerful. That's, yeah, that's, that's really cool. Yeah. So yeah, assuming we're all, all familiar here with uh life cycle assessment where we can look at the inputs and outputs of a process, whether it's making one kilogram of hydrogen or one kilogram of graphene or one piece of packaging. We can say, oh, we need this much energy, this much CO2, this much water, this much raw materials and um, to make one kilogram or whatever our unit is. Um, and so I was able to do the life cycle assessment for both the graphene we make by our process and the hydrogen we make by our process. So we can quantify or give numbers to how green is our process, how sustainable is our process. So that's kind of I'm hoping uh, we're really demonstrating we can, you know, we're 80 or 90 percent more sustainable using less energy, less CO2 
compared to current ways of making graphene, where we use less energy than electrolysis and we produce a whole heck of a lot less CO2 than steam methane reforming. Um, and so that's kind of, I wanted to be able to quantify that. So when people say, is it, is it really sustainable? Or are you just saying that as a buzzword? We can say, no, here are the numbers. Exactly. Um, and then also for the scalability aspect, a startup that's been around for a couple of years called Universal Matter um, is running with, with the uh, waste to, to graphene step. Um, so I'm, I'm really hopeful that they'll, they'll pick up the hydrogen part as well. Um, but they're already um, almost to ton per day levels of converting coal into uh, that high value graphene. Um, and so they're doing really great work scaling this process up. And this is the same process, um, except we're using plastics and getting out hydrogen as well. So um, that's, that's kind of, you know, when you're studying at a university and, you know, doing your research, you know, is this going to matter? Um, you want to make sure it's scalable. You want to make sure it's actually sustainable um, by doing LCA or economic assessment, as well yeah. as having, you know, a really great startup company uh, right. doing a similar process. So, you know, what I just a shout out as well. Can we, can we give a shout out here to our guy, Robert Mortensen? Science is fun. Business is fun. Is. Science plus business is double the, double the fun. You know, I don't think it's linear like that. I think it's actually like four times the fun. Yeah, like exponential, oh, maybe. Yeah. Exponential, wow. like, the curve goes like this. Think about that, Robert. Think about that. Yeah. It is way more fun than just double fun. By the way, um, you guys, you guys do need to go also on this uh, podcast that Taylor Sparks says. It's called Materialism, the material, the material Science Podcast. I'll make sure to connect you up with, uh, with my friend Taylor over there. We were part of a, the TEDx Salt Lake City community. That's yeah, awesome. I would love to. You guys, you guys have a way more nerdery thing. Phil, why don't you, uh, why don't you jump in and uh, say what you're talking about? And then we'll get this thing wrapped up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, the the last thing I was going to say about Kevin's stuff is, you know, he can. When, when that company that he's uh, has adopted his technology can use it, they can actually take the hydrogen and put it through a fuel cell and generate their own electricity to power that thing. And then that wow, brings it yeah. to like a self-licking ice cream cone. Like this thing yeah. is just like amazing where you don't even need to power the unit. You just mm-hmm. siphon and take just the hydrogen and generate and itself. It through, yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's yeah. really cool. Yeah. Well, guys, how do, how do people, if uh, they have follow-up questions... Uh, how do they get in touch with you? Can I tag you guys? Are you on? Are you, yes. Are you active on LinkedIn at all? I know Phil, you've yeah. Been oh, active, yeah. but Kevin, you are too. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely Wait. love it. Tag well, I love LinkedIn when people are in, when Phil reached out to me about my research. I felt so special. So you are special, Kevin. <laughs> so the more people that see my research or, or want to talk and and things like that, and actually someone from uh, NREL gave uh, talked about the life cycle assessment as well. Um, I don't remember her name. Um, but she gave some great feedback as well. So, um, was it, yeah. Was it Phil and Relissa? <laughs> no, no, no. Well, okay. But um, so, so one of the biggest things that I want to challenge your uh, I don't know, audience, your, your audience, your your yes, crew, sirs? your loyal followers. You are an influencer. Like your surfs. Twenty thousand people following packaging. Uh, like, I feel special, very yeah. special. But the thing that I want to challenge your audience with is. How can you use hydrogen and not just like hydrogen, but like any of the derivatives of the molecules I take. So like methanol and ammonia and some of those base chemistries and and Kevin start rattling off other stuff that it can generate for the plastics, like 
Um, maybe maybe yeah, like enriching base oils to give them uh, you know more heating value, things like that. And there's a lot of really cool catalysis, like uh, Adam was talking about, where we can take CO2, and if we link it up with hydrogen, maybe we can convert CO2 into methane. Uh, you know, a uh, really useful fuel source. Um, and, and other chemistries like that all all use hydrogen um, to to kind of you know get from something that doesn't have a lot of value like CO2 into something that might. So uh, yeah, hydrogen has a lot of, lot of value beyond just making ammonia or maybe one day powering cars. Um, it has a really, you know, the global demand for hydrogen right now is almost 100 million metric tons. Um, and that's without a lot of hydrogen cars. So there's there's a lot of hydrogen being used yep. all over. So Got it. Yeah. Yeah, that's so. cool. Well, uh, hopefully people will start, you know, kind of thinking and dreaming and contacting you. And uh, it's and. I, I'm really fascinated just to hear how the journey keeps going because it's just one like step in the, in the journey, right? But yeah. I envision there'll be a day where I'm like, oh, I had both those people on my podcast. <laughs> yeah. I knew I knew Kevin when he was just he had just adopted this puppy and yeah, yeah, <laughs> fantastic. And now look at him, he's yeah, little little window into the world, yeah, yeah, All exactly. Right. Well, uh, gentlemen, thanks so much. Uh, when we end the stream, but uh, just stay on because it's going to um, upload your audio so that the podcast can sound quite lovely. But I uh, appreciate uh, you, Phil and Kevin, for coming on and making me smarter. And it's a hard task, but someone had to do it. So I appreciate it uh, to Len and Robert and everyone else who listened to this live. Thanks for tuning in. And if you catch this on record or on replay on LinkedIn, um, or if you listen to the podcast, please reach out. I'll have all the show notes down there where you can connect up. And uh, thanks, everyone. Appreciate it. Thank thanks you. for having Appreciate us. Appreciate the opportunity. Yeah. Yep. Hey, congrats. You made it to the end of the podcast. If you're looking for more great podcast material in the packaging industry, please check out Sustainable Packaging with Corey Connors and the newly redesigned Package Unboxed with Avelio Matos. Go find them wherever you listened to this podcast. Thanks, everybody.